right, welcome to Real Big Mistakes. I am Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And I am Rich Tola. And in this podcast, we're going to be looking at movies that are often critically reviled, not very popular, have really low Rotten Tomato scores, and we're going to be giving an alternate opinion and defending these, you know, often known bad movies. These movies that have a reputation that's pretty rotten. They're known for being disasters, failures, and one of us, either Rich or myself, are going to have a different opinion from the, you know, critical or audience consensus. Correct. Or, or we may have the same... Uh, we may be on the same page with some of these, um, but basically, like you said, you know, the critics say that it's bad or good, and we are either agreeing or disagreeing. And each week, uh, we're going to take turns picking a movie. So uh, Jay picked first for this week. Um, but before we get into that, why don't we give them a little intro about who we are and how we know each other, Jay? Uh, who we are and how we know each other. Well, yes. I am a uh, film critic uh, of PanandSlam.com, and uh, I've known Rich now, geez, going on 10 years or so, 11 years? Um, we, yeah, so we met at a camp. Um, mm-hmm. we, we both worked at a camp for many years together, but I think the first summer we worked together was 2010. Does that sound right? Yep. It was your both of our first summers. We were both, yeah. yeah it was our first summer. So yeah, twenty ten. I was there from yeah for ten yeah, so years. So this this summer yeah. will be then eleven years, right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. Uh, so we met at, at a camp, and um, you know a bunch of us started that year, and uh, it didn't take long for uh, Jay's love of movies to kind of uh, express itself. Um, which led to many discussions, um, especially on lazy days when we didn't, you know, it was hot and we didn't feel like being active. Uh, <laughs> so we would sit and talk, and we called those days weekdays. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, some days we, you know, we were a little more active than others. But I guess as the years went on at the camp, we kind of just like did less and less. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I guess we got older, and the, yeah. I guess the things in the camp got older as well. So we were doing canoe trips, and we were doing relay races around the lake, and they were fun, but uh, yeah, just sort of the enthusiasm over we were doing can jam tournaments and volleyball and wiffle ball, and we just started to, on our downtime, well, just enjoy our downtime. That's and true. A lot, of us were, a lot of us were reading or playing on our phones. Yes, Um Eventually, and that was as you know, smartphones came about as well. Because I remember when we first started, I don't, I don't think we really had smartphones that first year, first couple. Uh, and years even maybe. if we did, if we even if we did, it was a very, it was a very strict no phone policy <laughs> oh, at the yes, camp yes, at yes, that yes. time. Yes, uh, yes. So we, and us being new, we didn't want to get in trouble and get caught uh, pickle jar, and we had all those codes if uh, someone yes. of authority was coming around to the rock wall to. Uh, uh, you know, they didn't want to. We didn't want to be seen on our phones. But yeah, towards the last few years that we worked there, it really didn't matter. Everyone was on their phones all the time. Yes, and and like you said, every the camp kind of uh, wore off on us, and we weren't uh, big into doing much exploring, and just wanted to keep to ourselves. And um, yes, it's funny you mentioned we didn't want to get in trouble. Um, story for another day. I did get fired that first year. Um, that is mid- right, <laughs> midsummer for about no, fifteen minutes. I was fired. <laughs> Um, Forgot yeah, about that, that. That's a story for another day. So that um, is a story for another day. <laughs> yeah. So we we've known each other for a while. Um, you are definitely more of uh, you definitely watch movies with more of a critic's eye than I do. Do you agree with that? 
Uh, yes, and I just, I've always been that way, and I just, you know, can't help it, I guess. I've seen a lot of movies, and when you see a lot, you start to notice different things, so that's maybe the reason why critics' opinions tend to uh, differ with the regular audiences, because they have to see every movie, or they, you know, see almost every movie. An audience can, can pick and choose what movies they want to see, so. That's true, and it's also a lot about, you know, for someone that doesn't go to the movies very often, or like you said, only sees movies once in a while, you know, going to the movies might be like a big event. So mm-hmm. even if the movie is not very good, the person just enjoy the experience of going out and seeing a movie. Um, whereas critics, which have seems to see yeah. every movie and see a ton of movies, so they need to really be, you know, impressed because, or else it's just another day for them, I guess. Yeah, which seems like a very foreign experience now uh, from a long time ago because it's been over a year since I, or no, that's not true. I saw Tenet in the theater, but for the most part, yeah, I have not gone to a movie theater in about a year, and I imagine you have not either. Uh, I don't even remember the last movie I saw in the theaters. It might have actually. I guess it probably was uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, right? That was that was December. Okay, so that was December twenty nineteen. Yeah, right. yes, because you did see that, and you didn't see anything after that. Uh, no, because March and I, I there's, I mean, I, there's usually not much in January and February for me to go yeah. to the movie theater. So I doubt I saw anything in between. You didn't go out of your way for any of the uh, the Oscar movies or anything from last year, other than you just saw Star Wars and that was it. Okay. Yeah, so. I, I don't even, I can't off the top of my head even remember uh, what the Oscar movies were last year. What was the big one? What won Best Picture? Uh, Parasite. Parasite. Definitely, and that was a movie that I was championing. That. Okay, I highly recommend Parasite. So, see, there's the difference. I've seen Parasite. Rich has not. Well, there's, uh, Rich, yeah, you've seen yeah. many, many more movies than me. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to getting out of this podcast is hopefully you make me watch some movies because I do plan on watching every movie. Even if I've seen it a thousand times, I'm going to watch it again just because I want mm-hmm. the freshest take possible. So, hopefully, maybe you'll get me to watch some movies that I've never seen. And, and yeah, hopefully, there's they're good ones. Oh, well, and even if they're not, um, you know, disconnecting, putting my phone away, and watching the movie. Mm-hmm. So, well, over the years, I think I've gotten you to see. I know you saw Mulholland Drive because of me, and that's one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah, you've, so you've, you've you've gotten me to see a lot. There's some that you you really want me to see, and you haven't stopped trying, but I don't know if you'll ever get me to. Um, well, thinking of David Lynch off the top of my head, I know The Straight Story is on Disney+, Plus, and I think that's a fantastic movie. Um, that, that's so. one. Uh, Blade Runner, you want me to see. Um, I could picture you not liking Blade Runner, yeah, because you <laughs> hated, we know you hated Mad Max Fury Road. Um, so uh, but, I can't, uh, I can't yeah. say I hated it because I didn't even watch the whole thing, but I went in with a negative attitude, so maybe I, I need to watch that again one day. Okay. Well, that's, um, I think that's an excellent movie, but whatever (laughs) yeah all right so um yeah so yeah like i said you you kind of look at things through more critic eye and i kind of look at them through more of just i guess a a fan eye or just like a a general moviegoer i guess right but yeah so the people know we do tend to agree if you like a movie usually i like it and vice versa so it's not like i see more than you but for the most part we're on the same page a lot of the times if you recommend a movie to me i do end up liking to, it to varying degrees i would say yes um, yeah I usually it's very it's it's not often that you love a movie and i hate it or or vice versa uh, it took yeah. you a few watches to to get on board with fletch um yep but eventually you saw it my way <laughs> 
I, I did. Eventually, it took me four times, I believe, to, over <laughs> many years. I had seen Fletch before you, and then you started quoting it all the time, and then I finally, uh, just eventually, I was worn down and submitted to the hilarity of Fletch. I found it very funny the fourth time around. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's, you know, kind of just who we are and you know, our perspectives going into this. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, so let's get into this one. This is um, what, what's, what's your pick for the first podcast? Uh, I picked for our first one. I picked a movie that is infamous, and it's known as one of the biggest disasters. Uh, it was a atrocious uh, shoot, a horrible production, and a really bad post production. So much so they made an entire documentary about it. Uh, the whole process. I picked the infamous 1996 debacle. The Island of Dr. Moreau, starring Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, and David Thewlis. All right. So, yes, The Island of Dr. Moreau, 1996. Um, so, you know, let's talk about the year 96 for a little bit. So, what okay. do you know off the top of your head what won Best Picture that year? It was. Yes, I do, actually. It was The English Patient, but I was a big champion of Fargo. I, I thought Fargo was the best movie of the year and should have gotten the... Uh, that was nominated for everything. And it won... Frances McDormand won Best Actress, and the Coen Brothers won Best Screenplay, but I would have liked to see them win Best Picture and Best Director. I hated The English Patient. I was going to so. say, have you seen The English Patient? I have, and it's very slow and very drawn out and very boring. And I'm with Elaine. Uh, Rich and I are both Seinfeld fans, and yes. I am completely with Elaine. I, it was just, oh, just die. Okay, the scene in the bathtub, it wasn't sexy. It was just weird. Okay, it was mm-hmm. just a really long, slow, boring movie and they could have picked any there was a 1996 off the top of my head the people versus larry flint came out that year i thought that was an excellent movie sling blade um jerry Maguire was better i know that was nominated for best picture um you know there's independence day was the big blockbuster that year one of my personal favorite movies starring the late great sean connery the rock came out that year uh so there was a lot of really good movies i think 1996 was a very good year for movies um island of dr moreau is often on lists of worst movies of 1996 um, I remember it came out in late summer, I want to say like mid-August, late August of 1996, usually a dumping ground for where studios don't have a lot of faith in the product. And uh, I believe, Rich, if my memory serves me correctly, you saw it in the theater. Yes, you are correct. Um, my, uh, I actually talked about this recently with my parents to see if they remembered because they took me. Um, okay. <laughs> they took me and a friend um, to see it and... Um, yes, I did see it. So 96, I was 13. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't hate it as a 13 year old. I, I, I remember thinking it was very bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't, you know, as a 13 year old, I don't know if there was any movie I actually hated, you know, other than maybe some movie my dad or mom made me watch that, you know, was just a complete adult movie or like a love story or something like you that. You would have hated The English Patient if yes. you saw it then. Yes. <laughs> you, I think you'd hate it now. I, I've, you I, know, I've I, seen I didn't see it pieces. until older, but I hated it. Yeah. So. I've, yeah I've seen bits and pieces of it. I, I haven't watched it all the way through, but it is horrible. It was what I saw was horrible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm with Elaine on that one. It was just terrible. And, you know, but as we all know, uh, you know, the best picture isn't always the best picture, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, they can't um, all be Parasite. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, pretty good year for movies. Um, it stars, um, like you said, uh, Brando, Kilmer. 
Um, I, I looked into Kilmer's timeline a little bit uh, in movies. Mm-hmm. So this came out right after Batman Returns. Is that correct? So he was a big star. Batman Forever, yes. So, so yeah, Batman sorry, Forever, yes. the previous summer, was the biggest movie of the summer. I think it might have been the number one box office movie of the year. Uh, I, I may be mistaken about that, but I know it was a huge movie, Batman Forever, because it was a very crowd-pleasing movie. You know, the Tim Burton movies, the first one surprised everyone, and that was a huge hit, and everyone loved it. Then Batman Returns got really dark and really, you know, over the top, and I remember they were losing sponsors. Uh, they didn't want to air commercials for it. The uh, You know, McDonald's was upset they couldn't sell the Happy Meal toys because the movie was really, really dark mm-hmm. and not for kids and creepy. So they brought in Joel Schumacher to make it a little happier, and all you know, for all intents and purposes, he succeeded. Warner Brothers made a lot of money uh, the previous summer, and uh, Val Kilmer was not happy. Do you know a little bit about Val Kilmer's backstory? Do you want to share... Uh, what you looked up because uh, for this move for Island of Dr. Moreau yeah or because I, I mean I could tell you I know Val Kilmer hated being Batman uh, oh, he, so I did not know that that's why he quit after one movie it wasn't like you know he was fired the movie was a success he chose not to do it because he said anyone could be Batman blah 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 he wanted to do something else and challenge himself so I guess he chose different parts and different movies but yes at the time val kilmer was a big box office star he was a name he was a bankable name big draw and yes he was a big draw so getting him in your movie was a big you know coup um but also do you know what happened to val kilmer while he was filming uh dr moreau um yeah so i did hear that um i guess he was originally supposed to be the david thewlis character Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of the lead, I guess. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he found out on the television that he was getting divorced. Does that sound right? Yep. That sounds. Yeah. I found this out from the uh, the Lost Soul, the the Doom Journey of Island Doctor Moreau. It's a fantastic documentary. It's on Amazon Prime streaming, so you could check that out if you want. Uh, but yeah, that was how he found out. He, you know, he found out like third party uh, that his wife was divorcing him, and so he was miserable. He was allegedly really miserable and like a cancer on a lot of film sets. But then I guess this and I. I I don't blame him. I mean, if I found out that way, I'd be pretty devastated. And you're, you know, all the way in Australia, you know, miles and miles away, hours long flight from Los Angeles where your wife and family are, that you find that out. So that's allegedly, you know, what he was going through and how he found out uh, that was his situation on the island of Dr. Moreau set. Yeah. Um, so... He was obviously wasn't happy. He wanted to he wanted to take a smaller role in the movie, so he kind of switched mm-hmm. parts. However, I, you know, I guess he was locked into being you know a, a big draw in the movie. So, right. you know, he's like if you've ever, I don't know if you saw the poster for um, Island of Doctor Moreau, um, but it's you know it's him and Brando's faces yep. basically taking over the yep. whole poster. Um, yep. And then yeah, so he you know he was his name was all over this, um, but yeah, he yeah. was apparently you know miserable and didn't want to be there and you know i think it shows in the movie to be honest with you um yeah no he's not trying very hard at all yeah and and we get we will we could talk about you know a little bit more about that later but what's interesting to me is that when i was looking at his timeline of films um it looks like 95 was probably his peak Um, what else came out did anything else come out in 95 heat 
Oh, that's right. And that is a terrific movie. Not maybe the big box office hit, but yeah, a very respectable movie. And he got along well. I have the Blu-ray with that. He got along well with the cast and everyone with Michael Mann, uh, the director, and Pacino and De Niro. Uh, so yeah, he was third build in that movie. So uh, yeah, interesting um, point. Yeah, so I think, yeah, and after that, I mean, it's all downhill for him. Um, well, then Island of Dr. Moreau, was there anything in between Heat and Island of Dr. Moreau? No. So then Island okay. Dr. Moreau, which I think is, you know, the turning point in his life, which, uh, you know, I mean, the guy got divorced. So, you know, yeah. um, obviously it was a tough time for him. But The Ghost in the Darkness came out that same year. I didn't see that movie, but it I like that movie. Good. I know it didn't it didn't do well. It's Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer hunting a lion that's terrorizing the people trying to build a bridge and a railroad in Africa. Uh, I thought it was a good, fun action movie. I, it's not brilliant. It's not amazing. But I liked it at the time. I haven't seen it in many years. So I do remember that came out in 96. And then after that, what came next? Let me guess. The Saint? Uh, yes, The Saint, which I did not think was very good. I think I only saw it It wasn't once. good. I agree. Um, it, was, it was him and Elizabeth Shue, and it was, it was not very good. Yeah. The, the costumes were pretty ridiculous, and it was like a bad Mission Impossible. Yeah, uh, At First Sight, which I did see and, and thought was horrible. Never saw that. That's where he's a blind man and he gains his sight back with yes. Mira Sorvino, I yeah. believe. Yeah, you really that was just a big feel flop sorry as well. for him the whole time. You, you know, it's a, it's a two, uh, I don't know how long it is, but let's just say two hours of, uh, yeah. you know, feeling bad for somebody. Um, okay, I never saw that. And then that. after that, I mean, I don't even know some a lot of these movies. You may, but I mean, Red Planet I've heard of. Was that any good? I saw that. That was pretty bad. That was a bad... Okay. There was a... Martian movies were really in for some reason. Yeah. movies taking place on... There was Mission of Mars. There was John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. And then there was Red Planet. And they all came out within the same year or year and a half or so. Uh, Red Planet, I thought, was pretty boring. It was like him against an evil robot with the... Carrie Ann Moss, the chick from The Matrix. So yeah. She was popular at the time. Yeah, that wasn't a very good movie at all. And I don't think it made a lot of money. So, yeah, he didn't have a hit, I guess, since Batman Begins or Heat. And I'm looking after it, and I mean, I'm into 2008, and I, I there's not anything sticking out to me. Now, again, there could some of these movies could yeah. be okay or something like that, but they're not big-name movies. Yeah, now, off the top of my head, I liked Spartan. David Mamet wrote and directed that. It had Val Kilmer, William H. Macy, uh, Do you Derek remember what Luke. year that was? 03 or 04. I was in college when that came out. And I remember liking that. And, and you know what else I liked? Okay, yes. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I've been telling you to see for a long time. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is an excellent, excellent movie. That's his last great performance. If he got an Oscar nomination and Robert Downey Jr., they, they were both Oscar worthy. It's like the Big Lebowski crossed with Lethal Weapon a little bit. It, it feels like Barry as a movie. We, uh, Rich and I are both fans of the HBO series Barry, and Rich is actually the one that got me into it. And so after I saw that, I was like, you got to see Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, because that is, it feels like the very similar plot. Okay, very, very similar plot. The way he gets into show business, the way he stumbles into it, uh, coming from a life of crime, similar. Um, so I, I, I really liked him. He was a, a gay detective in that movie, Val Kilmer, if I'm not mistaken. I highly recommend Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Shane Black wrote and directed it. It didn't make a lot of money in the box office, but Robert Downey Jr. has come out and stated that he thinks it's one of his best movies. So that's he got Shane Black to direct Iron Man 3. He loves Shane Black. And yeah, and that was one of Val Kilmer's last really good movies that I yeah. I absolutely love that movie. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, highly recommend that. Um 
All right, yeah, but other than that, I mean, he hasn't been in much, you know, since then. So I, I would say 95 was probably his peak, and, and yeah. his, you know, it was all downhill from there, starting with the Island yeah. of Dr. Moreau. Uh, interesting. Absolutely, that. yeah, because th- th- this was a huge flop. And yeah. he had a reputation for being difficult before this, but then this took it to, because not only did one director not like him, the one who got fired, but then the new director hated him and yeah. couldn't wait for him to get off the set, uh, John Frankenheimer. I will just say, uh, if we're talking about Val Kilmer movies, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is very good. Another one you should see, if you, I don't know if you've seen it or not, or anyone, if you want to see Val Kilmer's best performance... If he was ever to win an Oscar, it should have been for The Doors, the yes. Oliver Stone movie. He embodied Jim Morrison. It was really uncanny. You couldn't, if you look at the pictures next to each other, it's really hard to tell which one's Jim Morrison, which one's Val Kilmer. They look, the move, the sound, everything. It was really, really uh, a very impressive performance in that movie. Yes. Um, Crispin Glover was in that, too. Yes, he was. Um, I think he was. Was he Andy Warhol? He was, was Andy he Andy? Warhol. Yes. Okay, yes. And Kyle MacLachlan, whom I'm a fan of because of Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks. And yes. Once again, it all comes back to David Lynch for me today, it seems. But, uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy uh, Oliver Stone. Maybe it's one of the weaker Oliver Stone movies, but it still has some great performances and some great moments. Yeah, especially I, I, Val Kilmer. It's been years since i've seen it um but i i do remember seeing it i do remember him being very good in that um my favorite val kilmer performance uh without a doubt <laughs> is top secret which is and that his, is a terrific movie <laughs> it's his first movie 1984 if you haven't seen it find it rent it pay the three dollars you can stream it online or whatever it's worth every mm-hmm. penny uh from the create from the same uh writers as the movie airplane um mm-hmm. just a great comedy um, smart comedy, um, mm-hmm. and he does a great job in that, especially for his first movie ever. Um, I yeah, I couldn't believe. I thought Real Genius was his first movie, but no, this was he came. I guess from no, you know zero to hero because yeah. he went from nothing to leading. And I believe Top Secret was a flop financially, if I'm not mistaken. Probably but, uh, because I know it's it not very, very well known, um, but it's uh, it is a very good, very very good comedy, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so that's my favorite Val Kilmer performance. Um, and that's another movie that Rich and I will quote sometimes to each other. Uh, and I was planning on quoting it later in this uh, review, but we'll get to that later. So yeah. Um, all right. So other than that, we have Brando, which obviously, I mean, Brando, we could spend a whole episode just talking about him um you know clearly at the end of his career here although what was shocking to me was he lived another eight years after this movie um (laughs) i'm thinking of your quote do you remember your quote about brando in this movie said that brando had a foot in the grave or something like that like brando was practically dead in that movie when i was was. defending it and i couldn't believe he lived another like seven or eight years after that he looks like he's in pretty bad shape. And he was shape. in other uh, movies, at, or at least one other movie after this, right? He was in The Score, yeah. which was 2001. I believe that was his last theatrically released film uh, with him and De Niro and Ed Norton. It was like three generations of great method actors. I thought that was really cool. Uh, it's, it's a generic heist movie, but I think because of the acting in it, and those three brought their, well, maybe not Brando, but the other two brought their A-game to it. They It was a better-than-average heist movie. It, they made it better than it could have been. I saw uh, that movie. In that. I saw that movie when it first came out. Not in the theater, but I guess when it was first released on video mm-hmm. or something. I saw it with mm-hmm. a bunch of friends. I think somebody rented it or something. Um, and I didn't even know that Marlon Brando was in that movie. Because <laughs> at that time in my life, I wasn't really a big Brando fan anyway, and I didn't yeah. even know that was him. Um, 
But yeah, he's I remember a, getting excited when I saw the trailer because it was De Niro, Brando, the two uh, Vito Corleones, the two Don Corleones together. I was, I was, you know, like a, the way people were excited over Heat with De Niro and Pacino together. I remember feeling that a little bit, you know, when I saw the trailer, getting excited for it. Yeah, I think they had like one scene together, right, where they sat at, they had lunch or something. A together. little bit. Brando has a very small role, but he's in it sporadically throughout. It's not like he just appears at the end or is just at the beginning and dies off. He's sporadic throughout the and, movie. Yeah, and, and from what I remember in that movie, he's more coherent in that movie than he is in this one. Um, uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was he was allegedly a nightmare on that set. He did not get along with Frank Oz, the director. He called him Miss Piggy. Uh, he, <laughs> yes, he was very demeaning to the director. He, well, Frank Oz, for those that may not know, Frank Oz is a, a he was a Muppet, you know, original Muppeteer, Muppet uh, voice of Miss Piggy and many other Muppets. He's also the voice of Yoda. And he went on to direct some uh, more successful movies than the score, uh, In and Out. Uh, he directed, uh, what else? did he direct Bowfinger one of my favorite uh, comedies he directed What About Bob so yeah he went on to you know do a lot of other things and, and he does he is also Miss Piggy he does sound like Miss Piggy too like if you ever just hear him talk you can tell it's Miss Piggy <laughs> a little bit like, yes. you can tell. so I, I, I'm with Brando on that one um, <laughs> okay well he was he was allegedly very nasty to him but yeah uh, Brando when you look at Brando's career the last 30 years of his career acting he had such contempt for the profession if you ever see the documentary listen to me marlon he's very honest talking into these tape recordings he really hated show business he hated acting yeah. he was a, sounded like a miserable person and he only did it for the paycheck so he needed money at the end for whatever i know he owned his own island somewhere out in tahiti or whatever um but he needed the money and every five years or so he would come out of retirement just for the paycheck, get his five, ten million bucks, whatever it was, and uh, call it a day. So that's kind of where Brando was post-1973. 72 was Godfather, 73 was Last Tango in Paris. And then after that, the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s, whatever he did then, uh, he was just in it for a paycheck. So, yeah. was At that island in Tahiti, was he turning animals into humans? Uh, you know, I, I often wondered that when I saw Island of Dr. Moreau, how autobiographical that film was. So, uh, I mean, because it seemed like I could picture him living like that with a bucket on his head, okay, wearing the moo-moos mm -hmm. and just walking around in the kabuki makeup. It's, it's pretty ridiculous, but I could picture him. But he was, I mean, because even in Apocalypse Now, classic movie, okay, and you could say he gives a good performance in that, even though if you know anything about the history, the backstory of that film, he raised hell on that set and drove Francis Ford Coppola, the director, crazy um, and showed up overweight and they had to dress him in black so he looked thin. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, you know, he's he's been acting, you know, like that. That was 1979. So he's always had a lot of contempt for acting for whatever reason, the last part of his life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, you know, a big draw in this, I guess. I mean, definitely at the end of his career, but I guess, you know, he kind of brings in the older folks and Kilmer brings in the younger folks and, uh, yeah. you know, brings everyone well, in. Brando still had a reputation. People still wanted to Correct. work with him. Uh, you know, I, Robert, Sh Bob Shea, the guy who was head of New Line in the documentary, the Lost Soul documentary about Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. He said he was all excited for Brando. And then afterwards he was like, I've never worked with anyone 
who was more difficult than Marlon Brando. He was uh, a monster. But yeah, all the actors, I know there are some good supporting actors in this film, character actors. Uh, off the top of my head, I know Ron Perlman, who was a terrific actor. Uh, he was in Blade Two, Pacific Rim, uh, the, the Quest for Fire. He's a really good actor, Ron Perlman. He plays the sayer of the law in this movie, and he does give a good performance underneath all that crazy makeup and stuff. Uh, but he said he only signed on to do this movie to work with Brando, and it wasn't exactly what he wanted. But he's in he's that still show. Got to say he worked with. Isn't he in that show with about the motorcycles too? Sons of Anarchy. I believe so. Sons of Anarchy. Yes, I never saw that. Yeah, but he's he's a very good character actor. There's a lot of good actors in this movie, and I think the smaller performances kind of make up for Brando just walking around in a moo moo doing whatever he wants. You see the earpiece in his ear allegedly, and I've heard this in other movies that Brando had like a it was not a hearing aid, but it was so he didn't have to look at a script and remember lines. Someone would read him the lines through that earpiece and he would just say whatever they were saying uh after that is what i've heard allegedly yeah i heard that too and i heard that even if it would sometimes pick up um you know like radio transmissions yep. or, and, and he would just say whatever came through on there yep and that happened on island of dr moreau allegedly oh my gosh um yeah so yeah, he really cared about his craft greatest actor of all time i mean he has that reputation but you look at you know you look at films like island of dr moreau and th this isn't a single event a single you know role in his career where he was phoning it in he did this a lot okay throughout you know the 80s and uh and 90s in just about any movie you saw him in so oh yeah and he his career is interesting because you know obviously he was good as a young actor um you know mm -hmm. very very good and that's you know really what you know he was iconic and then he kind of had like a lull for a while there right yes. and then the godfather yeah, believe, kind of yeah. you know uh revitalized him and what a role to, what, a, what a role to do that um exactly and then he won an oscar was, for it and yeah. then he slapped the academy in the face but he was still he was so good that even the next year he did a very bold and daring performance controversial performance even nowadays uh the last tango in paris and he got uh, an oscar nomination for that even after he slapped the academy in the face the year before with sasheen littlefeather and refusing to accept the oscar mm -hmm. uh so yeah he did have a quite a comeback in the early 70s but then he just chose to i guess he did superman he did apocalypse now and then you look up his filmography in the 80s i don't think there's anything memorable there uh but then in the 90s, you know, he had The Freshman. I believe that was early 90s. Don Juan DeMarco, which was horrible. Uh, so, yeah, he started popping up a little bit more, you know. Just for because pay, he needed paychecks, money. yeah, money. Yes, he needed money. Um, <laughs> and people wanted to work with him just because he was a legend. And, you yes. know, and it was one of those situations where, you know, you meet your legend and you, know, you meet someone that you view as a hero or a, you know, someone yeah. you really want to work with. And it turns out that they're, you know not a nice person or don't yeah. care about you or don't care about anything. And then you, yeah. you build up one perception in your head of someone and it turns out to be different, <laughs> which seemed yeah. to be the case for anyone that worked with him later in his career. Yeah. I mean, he did get along with a few, I think he was very enamored by big stars. I know he loved De Niro. He got along well with Johnny Depp and Don Juan DeMarco. So it's very, I guess if you're, he thinks you're on his level of fame, He's nice to you, but if you're not, I mean, he, he got along with Michael Jackson. He was in Michael Jackson's uh, music video in the early 2000s. Uh, so, which video? I, I think it was "Girl, You Rock My World." I, uh, after "Dangerous," I really stopped paying attention to Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. But it was his whatever his last album was, and I believe this came out also when we were in college, early 2000s. Um, 
It and, was a video. It had him and Chris Tucker was in the video. A bunch of famous. Michael Jackson always had famous people or, you know, famous directors uh, in his videos. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola directed Captain EO. Martin Scorsese directed Bad. Uh, so um, he did go all out for his videos. And he got Brando, I believe, was in one of those l- late music videos that Michael Jackson Interesting. I did, not, yeah. I did not see a connection there, but. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, so, you know, obviously Brando is a big name to come to this movie. Um, yeah. David Thewlis, I didn't know from anything prior to this. and, and Same with me. Don't I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he's a good British actor. Yeah. He's uh, I, he's famous. He may, probably made more money on the Harry Potter movies than he did anything else. He was in a bunch of those. Um, I like David Thewlis. He was in a season of Fargo. He was in Big Lebowski. Uh he was Maud's friend, that mousy-looking guy. Okay, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, a recent role that I actually really like him in, because he has a reputation. He's kind of like one of those, you know, British, you know, proper actors. But uh, if you get a chance, uh, there's a raunchy uh, comedy uh, animated show on Netflix. It's called Big Mouth. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I've heard of it. He's the best character on that show, because it's about these young middle school aged kids i guess you know going through puberty and learning you know discovering their sexuality and he's the shame wizard and he appears and goes around and makes the kids feel bad about whatever they're feeling and whatever they're going through <laughs> and all their changes and it's really funny and he actually does give a good voice performance as the shame wizard interesting yeah um yeah i mean he was uh I, like I said, I don't know. Uh, he was in Fargo, right? I think a season of Fargo. Fargo, the, Fargo the TV show. Yes, yes. He was in a season of Fargo, the, t- the one with Ewan McGregor. He was in that season. Yes. Um, but yeah, I didn't know him for much else. Um, Feruza Balk is in this, and she was in, what, like two or three movies in the 90s? Or I was a big fan of her in the late 90s. I First of all, I liked her in Return from Oz. That was her first movie. She was a little girl in that in the the 80s. Uh, I thought she was beautiful. She was in The Craft, a movie I did not like. But, I mean, I guess the eye candy. It was her, Nev Campbell, uh, Robin Tony, and Rachel True, and four beautiful women. Uh, So there was The Craft. She was in Almost uh, almost Famous. Yeah, she was in that. Uh, She was in The Waterboy. She was uh, Mm -hmm. Adam Sandler's love interest in The Waterboy. So, yeah, she was pretty in demand in the late 90s. And uh, she was in this, and I thought she was good in this. Okay, I thought she was pretty. She's I thought she not was, one of the yeah. issues of this movie. Let's put it that way. <laughs> she's not one of the issues. Yeah, well, she's in the documentary, and she was an adamant defender of Richard Stanley, uh, and yes, did not like I John Frankenheimer. That. Yeah, so I, I did watch that documentary. Uh, not recently, but I did see it. Um, I remember talking about it with you a while ago, yeah. and yeah, you had a very different opinion of it than I did because. You know, I kind of took Richard Stanley's side, and you were like, no, he was in over his head, he wasn't good, she's nuts. and She was nuts. Um, I I do think she's a little nuts. Um, He, him, yeah, I mean, definitely seemed like he was in over his head, but they, I don't know, they didn't even really give him a chance. But to me, Correct, they fired him on, like, the second day. Yeah, but they had to know something. You don't fire someone that early unless something, you know, there's some major red flags, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there must have been something more. I mean, you're getting, in that documentary, you're kind of getting Richard Stanley's point of view 
for the most part. But. That is correct. It does paint him in a sympathetic picture. And John Frankenheimer has he's passed away. Uh, but that movie did mark a little bit of a comeback for him because the 80s and 90s were a tough time for John Frankenheimer. When you look in the 60s and 70s, he was a big director. He made uh, one of the most classic uh, thrillers of all time, The Manchurian Candidate. Mm. A movie that was way ahead of its time. John Frankenheimer directed that. Yeah, so he went from that to Island of Doctor Moreau. All right, so that shows you his career trajectory. But uh, afterwards, he made two movies, uh, three movies actually, that I really liked. Uh, one was Ronan with Robert De Niro in yeah, the car chases in Europe. Yep. Love that movie. It's like Robert De Niro in James Bond mode. He did Reindeer Games, which I defend. I enjoy that movie with Ben Affleck and Charlize Theron. And he did uh, a very good HBO movie called. Path to War. It had Michael Gambon as Lyndon B. Johnson and Alec Baldwin was in it. It's a very, very smart, good uh, HBO movie from the early 2000s. And he passed away shortly after that. Um, so I hear you saying you defend Reindeer Games. I haven't seen Reindeer Games, uh, so maybe that'll be a future movie we talk about on a podcast. Okay. If, if okay. you're defending okay. it, that must mean that it, it got poor reviews. So it's, I, I don't well, know, When you look up movies, first of all, it has Ben Affleck. And right. it's Ben Affleck in the early 2000s. So that should give you... A, it's not Goodwill Hunting. It's not Argo. Okay, so uh, it's not Gone Girl. So Ben Affleck, for the most part, I mean, he sort of became a punchline more than Marlon Brando or Val Kilmer, I think, in some respects. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do enjoy that. But we're getting off the topic. So uh, <laughs> back to Island of Dr. Moreau. What else you know, did, did you want to... Uh... Uh, so the only other actor that I thought uh, was kind of uh, noteworthy to mention in this movie is, and I, I don't know if I'm saying his first name right, Tamora Morrison. I know who he is, and I believe you're saying his name right. I'm not. He's uh, from New Zealand. He is a... Uh, um... Uh, ab- uh, part Aborigine, so yeah, uh, Timura Morrison, and you know him, of course, from say it, Star Wars. Um, yep, <laughs> he is Jango Fett, and then later the voice of Boba Fett. Um, and may or may not, spoiler alert, make an appearance on The Mandalorian. Oh, okay. Um, I have not watched The Mandalorian. I have not given into that, although I've been told by you and several other people how good it is. Uh, yes, I'm not going to say it's the second coming, which some people will. Some um, people really do, yeah. Yes, uh, but it is it is enjoyable. Yes, I, I do. And, and you have Disney Plus. My thing is, you have Disney Plus. If you didn't have Disney Plus, I'd be like, all right, don't waste your time getting it just for that. But you have it. Yeah, you're you're depriving yeah. yourself. Of, of like I don't know, maybe I will. I don't want to get hooked to it, but maybe. I, no I guess because pandemic, and it's not like we're doing that much, <laughs> so I guess I could, I guess I should, other than just watching reruns of The Simpsons and Boy Meets World on there, I guess I could uh, give have another reason to watch it, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I mean, you have it, it's there, just watch it. Here's my take on it. Okay, you know what, what The Mandalorian is proof of? It's the proof that television, this streaming platform that Netflix started and now Disney Plus and HBO Max and Amazon Prime and they're all, you know, sort of, it's further proof that movies are a thing of the past. Because you look at how much tender love and care has gone, I'm going to assume that Mandalorian is great because that's all I've heard and that's fine, okay, and I'm sure it is. So they're putting their A game on this you know, 10 episode season of a show that's ready for streaming. That's not going to make any money at the box office. And then they're just relying on focus groups and fan feedback and, you know, uh, uh, pre-screenings 
for making major, major decisions in the motion pictures of Star Wars. And I think that led to the downfall of the J.J. Abrams uh, films, especially Mm -hmm. the third film. So I just think it's a sad commentary that, I mean, nowadays, if I was, you know, uh, the next Scorsese or the next, you know, Hitchcock or the next Spielberg, I wouldn't want a big movie contract from Warner Brothers or Universal or Paramount. I'd want a deal with Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu and freedom to do whatever I want there. And if it's great and wins Emmys and everyone likes it, awesome. And if it's not, I still make the same amount of money and I got to make my vision of whatever it is. So that's, I just think what... Mandalorian's a perfect example of how the Star Wars movies were eh, but oh my god, the show is amazing. And that's what everyone says, you know, you watch new streaming shows, everyone says they're amazing, and movies are eh, you know, kind of whatever. Yeah, I think eventually the studios will have to adjust if they want to be able to compete with Netflix and those other streams. Well, Disney already has adjusted. Yes. Okay, Disney has Disney Plus. So Disney is, they're losing money on the theme parks, they're losing money at the box office, but overall I think Disney is fine compared to the other studios. And the next best studio I was going to say I think is Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers owns HBO Max. Ah, so yes. they, they they at least have an outlet where everything that's Warner Brothers will be on HBO Max guaranteed. Right. So then all the other, then Paramount's going to have to have their own streaming service and Universal mm-hmm. and Columbia and whatever. So that, that's just the way the world is now and is everyone going to want to buy all these different streaming services or they're going to have to join in with Disney or join in with HBO Max or Netflix or whatever it may be so yeah um no you make a good point um but I mean you have Disney Plus I suggest you watch it um put that aside enjoy it they're like 20 no they're like 40 minute episodes you'll like it. okay okay um, but uh, so yeah. Other than him, who like I said, I know him from the Star Wars movies, and I've seen him in other small roles. I'm not going to name them all now, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it for the the main players in this movie. Um, yeah. So now let's get into the movie. Um, <laughs> Forty minutes in, we're just getting into the movie. Um, but that's okay. A lot of backstory. Yeah. <laughs> well, this movie is it's more notorious for the backstory. I think, you know, many people will probably agree that the documentary about the making of this film, The Lost Soul, the mm-hmm. you know, story of uh, of uh, Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau is a fascinating documentary. And after seeing those images and the storyboards of all that, I wish we could have gotten his vision uh, to the screen, but alas, we did not get it. But I still like what we were given. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it. it is what it is. Um, well, we'll talk about it. So basically what the movie's about is a, a, shipwreck, a, a guy that was shipwrecked uh, gets ends up on this island that's being run by a mysterious doctor, and he's doing these experiments that to turn animals into humans, right? That's basically what it's about. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, it's, it's messing with animal DNA and creating a new species of, you know, a creature that's part man, part animal. Correct. Um and, and it's based on an H.G. Wells book. I did read the book years ago, and the book is very different, but the, the principal characters are the same, the concept is the same, uh, and the book is very... I'm an H.G. Wells fan, actually. The book is very good, uh, and I think it's a difficult book to adapt, yeah. you know, faithfully, and I think they did a pretty good job, but obviously, once again, it could have been so much better, you know, and the books are always better, so I know you love Jurassic Park. To me, that the, the movie doesn't hold a candle to the book. That's one of the most amazing novels I've ever read. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, 
the the source i I haven't read the the island of dr morrow book um but Mm -hmm. i I know it's good i've heard it's good hg wells is you know one of the best writers ever so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um clearly there's good source material here so you know given the cast and the source material you would think home run right and the budget. I mean, the it wasn't budget, like New Line. Yeah. At, New Line at this point was going through changes. Because in the 80s, New Line was the house that Freddy built. Okay? It was all just horror movies. And and then they had a big hit with Ninja Turtles. They released the Ninja Turtles movie. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, made them more than just a specialty horror. Sort of like the uh, Blumhouse. What Blumhouse is today. Okay? Imagine if they released a Ninja Turtles movie or whatever. A movie based on a huge popular... Uh, property like that and they exploded and new line was really branching out and they were getting bigger budgets with bigger stars and so yeah they got marlon brando i mean they started making you know more oscar caliber movies they released boogie nights around the same time as island of dr moreau they eventually it culminated with lord of the rings the lord of the rings trilogy was released by new line and they finally won a best picture uh oscar so but this new line was changing and they wanted to have bigger budgets bigger stars uh like i know they around the same time they did the bruce willis movie that i really liked that flopped last man standing um so they they were doing different films they did seven with brad pitt and morgan freeman two big stars big budget you know r-rated serial killer movie so they were branching out at this time yeah um yeah i mean big budget um you know the opening credits i saw stan winston who i I mean i don't know all of these guys and i'm sure one of the things i was going to mention is stan winston he did the special effects a lot of the animatronic effects in jurassic park which i just mentioned right he did from um terminator 2 the terminator movies aliens okay with james cameron he worked a lot with james cameron fantastic makeup design special effects designer and i do think the creature effects and the you know say what you want about the other parts of the film but the production value of this is grade a material okay i Mm -hmm. mean i like the movie for its exotic locales and i like the movie for its stan winston creature makeup i think these creatures Yes, some of the ones in the background are probably just guys in masks, but the the you know the main characters, the Ron Perlman character, the Tamora Morrison character, uh, they really look good. They're really you know, this was good makeup effects. The CGI effects, though, <laughs> what did you think of those? Um, they're pretty bad. Um, they were bad even for 1996. Yeah, in my like opinion. when the animals were like jumping from tree to tree and stuff like that. Like, oh it, yeah, it, yeah. It looked like it was just bad. Um, yeah, that was bad. So, yeah, so let's, let's let's get into this from the very beginning. So, obviously, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, spoiler alert, and, uh, you know, if you want to see it, that's up to you. Um, they could decide at the end. They could true, listen to me but, or listen to you. Yeah, but they're... <laughs> see who but, makes the more compelling case. Yeah, but we're going to, uh, you know... We're going to go into the movie, though. So, uh, the opening credits, like, what the hell was that? Like, I like the opening credits. I like the theme. I wrote down the theme music by Gary Chang. He's a unknown, he was a composer in the 90s. I believe he also did the score for Under Siege. Good opening credits. It showed the the jungle locales. The music, the music was good. I thought the music in this movie did nothing for the movie. Like, I, I, was it even on during the actual movie? I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, you you it, the movie would have felt twice as long if it wasn't. I, I, I assure you, because there's a lot of walking around and not a lot. There's not action happening every single second. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely music. Uh, I thought Gary Chang did a good job making the music score. Um, I thought the opening credits was a good way to suck you in, and then boom, right there, you see that little raft with the guys on the you know yeah, raft, fighting you know, each other, isolated of the sea, fighting. each 
each other, yeah. Yeah, so then it goes through that. Um, then, you know, um, then David Thulis, I guess, is the only guy left alive out of the three guys yeah. that were on this raft because two of them fell into the water, and then there happened to be a shark right there that eats the other two, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, um, I guess... Now, did you see... Do you know if you saw the unrated version? Because I think... Uh, I have the Blu-ray, and that has that's the unrated version. Which version did you... I probably you... saw the theatrical. Um, the theatrical, what, what because I know that scene's... A, it's just a little bit longer, a little bloodier. There's a few... With, later on, when you see a scene where one of the animal creatures is giving birth, that's a little longer and bloodier. But it's not... Oh, my God. I really think it's like two minutes oh, extra. Okay. And it's it's all in the beginning. I don't think they added anything at the end. Okay. There. Yeah, I didn't... Yeah, so. that, I, the fighting wasn't bloody at all, really. And, and then you just okay. see... You just see, like, an image of a shark swim up. Like, you don't see... Okay, yeah. There's a little more blood. It's it's like a minute longer, the fighting. Okay. It's not... It's, so you, did, you didn't miss anything that was... Oh, my God. Sometimes, you know, director's cuts, you know... Yeah. They, do make a big difference this one does it was probably just a marketing gimmick because the movie was pg-13 uh when it was released theatrically and i think for home video they wanted to just i don't know <laughs> yeah make a little bit more money off of it so they had a director's cut yeah so then uh so then val kilmer i guess or a boat rescues david thulis um pulls him up on the boat um and then that's where he meets val kilmer i guess he's like going mm-hmm. you know floating in and out of consciousness and val kilmer is there and uh, you can tell he's talking on the phone or something to somebody, and you know he's like, you can tell he's up to something. Um, and then he wakes up, he's feeling better, but then you know he thinks he's gonna stay on the boat and get dropped off somewhere else. But then Val Kilmer tells him that they they they're making him get off the boat. Do you think that he, they were making him, or was that all some you know like trick? That well, I think playing. later on, don't they reveal that they took some of his DNA? So right. They so they some had something already. So did they yeah. really need him, or did he was he actually thrown off the boat? I, I couldn't figure that out. And I, not that it even that matters, I don't but... know. Yeah, not that that really matters. But I do remember thinking it was kind of cool because you couldn't see the faces, you know, really behind Val Kilmer at some point. So it was like, are they men? Are they beasts? Are they, you know, are yes. they man beast lackeys? Which is a term that Rich and I have used to uh, discuss this movie. Doctor Moreau's man well, beast lackeys. That that was from you know if you go on IMDb and you search a movie there's like a little blurb about it you know at the top and in the blurb and I, I went back and looked and it's no longer there unfortunately uh, I yeah I couldn't find the the man beast lackeys line. yeah it said something about Doctor Moreau having uh, man beast lackeys um, which <laughs> it's a good way to describe just, some of them I guess yeah I mean I don't even know I mean that's I, that's probably an improvement over what I would call these people um, uh, but. <laughs> So, all right, so then they, you know, he has to go to this island uh, um, that uh, Val Kilmer is taking him to, uh, and Val Kilmer works at, um, and um, I love, one thing I did love about it, I'll, you know, the tropical locale, yes, I'll give you that, and I also liked um, the World War Two stuff that was, because the island apparently was, you know, used during World War Two. so uh, mm. Val Kilmer drives that old Jeep, um, yep. which I loved, because I'm a big Jeep fan. Um, there's mm-hmm. another, you know, World War II army truck in it that the other animals drive at some point. Um, mm. there's some, um, uh, World War II airplanes in the, uh, broken down airplanes in the, mm. uh, where the, the Sayer the Law, is that his name? Yeah, well, I wish the filmmakers did more with all of this. I, I yeah. agree. Um, it's not in there enough, but the stuff that is mm-hmm. in there is, is pretty cool. I wish there was... It's know, almost like a, you blink and you miss it, some of the stuff you're mentioning, yes. uh, besides the Jeep, yeah. Yeah, the Jeep is pretty prominent, but the other stuff right. is there, um, and I mm. wish, it, uh, you know, that was a little more prominent. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so they you know he's so they're driving through the island. You know, they uh, Val Kilmer has rabbits and he snaps a rabbit's neck, which I thought was unnecessary. Um, yeah, that was a little. That was uh, well, especially little, because he was like sure. he like made him hold it and then did it. Like <laughs> yeah, he was. I guess they were trying to establish that his character was a little bit uh, sick, a little you know twisted and not to be trusted. Uh, sort of thing, yeah. Like a and devious, then, you know, so sociopathic, you know, and a drug addict. Qualities, too. yes. Yeah, a lot of drug references true, yeah. that I didn't pick up on early, in earlier viewings of this film. Okay. Um. So yeah. Um. So then they're talking about Moreau, and one line I thought was funny was uh, uh, when when Val Kilmer is talking about Doctor Moreau and and uh, you know, how it's his island and everything. David Thewlis goes, I thought he was dead. And I was thinking that about Marlon Brando. So (laughs) (laughs) that was an ironic line. (laughs) Um, That's a good one. uh, So then, um, you know, I guess then, you know, they they go to the compound where they everyone lives and uh, where the humans live, I guess. And, uh, you know, you find out that Dr. Moreau has all these awards and he invented Velcro, apparently. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Oh really? I did, I missed that. Okay. Yeah, he uh, he won a Pulitzer for inventing Velcro. Um, <laughs> you win a Pulitzer? Isn't that for writing? Not. To... Uh, I thought it was a Pulitzer, but I might be wrong. Maybe a Nobel Prize. Yes, I don't know. Maybe it was okay. a Nobel Prize, right. not a Pulitzer. Sorry. My okay. Yes, yeah, so he won a Nobel Prize for uh, inventing Velcro. Um, which... And now he's doing DNA research on yes, animals well, and that's a natural humans. Natural and... progression, right? You invent, yes, you okay. Invent, uh, you know, two materials that stick to each other, and then all of a sudden you can, <laughs> uh, you know, re- play God. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so then, you know, there, he, he, then he goes exploring a little bit. He gets out of his cabin, David Thulis, you know, he's locked away. And, After he was locked in, yeah. yeah. And, and you're leaving off one of the worst introductions to one of the best characters in the movie, Faruja Balk, just standing there dancing with a little <laughs> boombox or whatever yes. it was next door. It's a horrible introduction, <laughs> but I do like her character otherwise <laughs> yeah that that whole thing was very weird so listening to like weird music and yeah and like new age music that you would listen that you would hear if you were getting a massage at a spa um, <laughs> and she's just she, standing she's in the middle like of this belly dancing this, to it yeah <laughs> it's weird it's a it's a weird bad intro and the guy and just like stands there and like, like watches Google creepy for like yeah. two minutes and then for you so you, she's just dancing there for two minutes with her eyes closed and then finally at one point she opens her eyes not like she's her back is facing them the whole time she opens her eyes and then she's like embarrassed like she's naked or something yeah <laughs> and like weird. runs off like well i mean she's supposedly a cat you know spoiler alert um so you know my cat you know kind of runs away randomly too so i guess that makes sense um uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding um <laughs> Um, so then uh, I'll tell you where this movie lost me. So up to this point, I'm in, I'm in on this movie. Even last, okay. you know, last night when I watched it, I thought, all right, I'm in. Like, I, I'm, where does this movie take me? Even though I know where it takes me, I'm still, you know, holding out hope. You're like, maybe Jay's right. Maybe this isn't as yeah, bad as I thought it seriously, was. Seriously. I, I, that crossed my mind. Then at the 25 minute mark, Uh-oh. this little guy that I guess he's an, he was an ape at one time is like running around. He has a baseball bat in his hand. Um, okay, I know. And, what and you're just talking starts like about. running yeah. around, and the whole thing is just bonkers. And yes. that's where I'm like, because they're they're escaping from people that are running after David yes. Thulis, and Faruja Balk is getting him to safety, and she brings him to that guy, and then she brings him to the Sayer of the Law. Correct, but it was the man the that the first character. guy she brings him to 
prior to the Sayer of the Wall. Okay. I saw that. that was... And I was just like, what the hell is going on here? You're like, okay, I'm done. And then you see all the half-man, half-animal creatures. Yeah, you're really thrown are... in. You're not eased into that world. Um, they do show a few people beforehand, but yes, you're right. Feruja Balk is normal looking. Yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer's normal human. Uh, and then, yeah. Well, I guess, oh no, he sees that weird baby being born, and that's when he starts to run away. Um, oh, okay. And okay. then, then he Because yeah, they he, heard him and they chase after him, yes. Yep, okay. exactly. Um, right. Yeah, so. Um, uh, so then. At 28.50, because uh, I, I noted the time, that's when Brando makes his appearance. Um, and, <laughs> and he's what not an in it for very is. long, mercifully. Yeah. And yes, what a, he's like on a Popemobile yes. or something, I covered wrote, in like those a, bug tents. <laughs> yes, with a mosquito net around him. Uh, mosquito nets around I, him, yeah. I wrote the Pope um, when he showed up. I also wrote that he looked like Darth Vader without the mask. Um, <laughs> and because the, the, he's got that kabuki makeup on, yes. it's just, it's a weird, yes. I don't know. Uh, and allegedly he did all that himself. He wanted to wear the ice bucket on his head at a later scene yes, the, because yes. he was, because he was hot. Okay. Yes. So. This is a movie where a man wears an ice bucket on his head and, and ice and, is and like, put it's in the it. most normal thing. Yes. And uh, ice is put in it. On yes. Film. <laughs> um, there's film of a man wearing an ice bucket on his head and someone putting ice into that bucket. Um, and he's the god of the island. He's the man who controls this island. He, they all call him father. <laughs> I guess yes, he is the father because he, uh, I guess, made all these animals. He created everyone. Hybrids. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, he 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 looked like Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi when Luke finally takes his mask off, and what a disappointment that was as a you know nine year old. <laughs> um, but that's what he looks like. He really does. Like, and and yeah. even sounds like him too. I, I was waiting for him to say, "No, go, my son," or whatever. <laughs> That's that's what he sounded like. Um, he had a he had a Lord Raiden hat on. Um, yes, he did have a Lord Raiden hat on. Uh, I mean, but he had those 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 the bug like nets like cape like all around him. Like oh, maybe he looked more like a beekeeper yes, than he did Lord he, Raiden. He, he, yeah. he, a fat I beekeeper. Mean, yeah, he was morbidly obese. Um, he, he he says a line. Don't you feel the heat? I don't even think that was a script. I think he was just talking. I think he I, he allegedly did whatever he wanted on this set, yes. and he drove both directors crazy, especially John Frankenheimer, because Frankenheimer directed the majority of what we see. Uh, Richard Stanley put it together, and right. not much of what he put together ended up on screen. But uh, yeah, I heard it was just some like um, overhead shots and stuff like that. I heard none of the actual yeah. like actors. He picked the location. Using. He yeah. picked the locale. He picked, and it was like. It, but, it was a beautiful, isolated part of northern Australia. But then what ended up happening was it was tornadoes and typhoons, and they destroyed the sets, and they had to rebuild them, and they had to. So it was it was a nightmare. It was like everything bad that could have possibly happened to this poor, you know, mm-hmm. director Richard Stanley, happened on his first big budget film. Because if you ever get a chance to see Hardware, his first movie from 1990, really good. You won't like it now that I think about it. Futuristic sci-fi dystopian future kind of story. Um, but uh, you, you but lost hardware's... me at dystopian. Ah, uh, that's that's a bad word for rich. That's, that's a four-letter word, <laughs> like Mad Max and Blade Runner. Nope, yeah. <laughs> done. But uh, it's it's a very good low-budget sci-fi movie uh, that, that he made. But yeah, so whatever. Um, yeah, so he uh, he. I mean. He says he has an allergy to the sun. This is Brando. He says he has an yeah. allergy to the sun. I again, I think he's just making that up so he has an excuse to wear that white makeup because I think he wanted to wear that. Um, I think literally he was just doing whatever the hell he wanted, and it shows. Yep. Like I don't. Think... And so was Val Kilmer. 
Yes, but at least he has a little more... His is less absurd. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absurd looking, but still. I, uh, yeah, I guess. I was writing down possible drinking games we, we could do if you if because if this if you want to have a bad movie night, take a shot every time Val Kilmer does a Marlon Brando impersonation. Uh, I mean, that'll yeah. get you a few. That'll get you a few. I, I did um, write that that he imitated Brando, and I did read later that he asked Brando's permission to do that. Which oh, I didn't. Even I don't know even that. know if that's even true, but I did read that yeah. he did that. But he does imitate Brando. Um, so, yeah, so then he shows up and, and invites the David Thule's character to dinner, and he, that's when, you know, the exposition of what's going on comes out, I guess, right? Yeah, and um, you meet his children, like his more civilized children. Yeah, the, his, his uh, I guess, his, when he refined the process of, um, I guess, you know, he was refining the process of, of these yeah. turning these animals into humans, and he got a little bit better with each one with the masterpiece. I'm assuming when he references his masterpiece, I'm assuming that's his daughter, right? Feruza Balk's Yes, character. I assumed I assumed it was Feruza Balk's character, yeah. Um, and, and then he says he's doing this all to, uh, what, make the perfect species because he's taking the negative aspects of humans out and or something. I, the whole thing is very vague. And, and the way Marlon talks and explains it you can barely even help hear what he's saying yeah it's a lot of mumbling it's more mumbling than in the godfather yes <laughs> which yeah so yeah i mean so he kind of like says what he's doing and and uh <laughs> there's a great at 33 minutes david thulis's character has a great line he says this is the most outrageous spectacle i've ever witnessed <laughs> this this movie <laughs> this movie is the greatest spectacle i've ever witnessed or most outrageous spectacle it's, yeah, and allegedly Thulis hated making the movie. Everyone was miserable making this movie. Uh, so yeah. yeah, when he said that, I was like, is he talking as the audience in this <laughs> that line? <laughs> because that's what I'm thinking right now. Because that's right after all this nonsense happens with the you know the Sayer of the Law, and like you're really just yeah. thrown into this world where animals are and humans are you know fused together. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and you you didn't mention one thing at that dinner scene. Is it the piano or the little guy? The 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 inspiration for Mini Me starts yes. here. Okay, yes. it, it inspired uh, South Park with uh, that doctor who's cloning the mm-hmm. animals with five asses or whatever he says, <laughs> and he has a Mini Me that looks exactly like that Mini Me. And then two years later, Austin Powers Two comes out, and he literally has a character just like Brando had in. Um, in Island of Dr. Moreau, and he just calls him Mini-Me, and that stuck, and we've seen duplicates of it ever since, but this is where it started. Okay, so yes. if you're an Austin Powers fan, or South Park, uh, those are the two that I know of, but I know I've seen other Mini-Me's all around uh, after that happened. So this yeah. is where they were inspirations, and I believe Mike Myers even admitted or gave credit to, yeah, he got the idea from Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, so this little this little guy, I guess he's, he was like the smallest man ever at the time. Smallest man in the world, he was Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Do you know the, the background a, a little bit about it? Because this is where I was going to say, I know a little German. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I don't know much about him other than I heard he was a little bit of a pervert on the set. Yes, yeah, he was kind of like the Hervé Villaché of the '90s, I suppose. Okay. Um, but uh, what 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 happened was he was only supposed to be in it for like two minutes. One of the characters, the refined characters, that's nice, uh, is German. And Marlon Brando went up to him and said, "I know a little German." 
And he said something, and the guy, this is, I got all this from the documentary on Amazon Prime, and the guy's like, huh? And he had no idea what Brando was saying. He, and then he repeated, he's like, you, and he, Brando didn't know any German, obviously, or he was butchering whatever line he was trying to impress the German actor with. Okay, and he was like, oh, no, that's, and he corrected him. So the mini-me actor that we're talking about uh, is Spanish. I don't remember what country is, but he only speaks Spanish. He doesn't speak English. So he went up to him and said, I know a little Spanish. And then he said something to the mini-me. And then the mini-me's like, see, sí, ha-ha, and laughing with Marlon Brando. And then immediately from that, Brando wanted him in every scene with him. And a lot of the, uh, the other actor, the German actor who played the older son, was written out completely. And he had got, so he was supposed to have a much bigger role, but because he didn't say, yes, haha, after whatever Brando said, uh, he, you know, it really, he ended up suffering and, and yeah, his part was destroyed. And that's all it takes when you're Marlon Brando, you know, you, yep. you piss him off and you're out of the movie, apparently. Yep, um, that's, that's what happened. He was very upset. He was very bitter. Wow. Okay. So that explains why that little guy is in every scene Brando is in. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's weird and looking he's weird but he's memorable yeah see that's the thing that's the thing this this movie is memorable okay i guess it's it's 24 25 years later after it came out and we're still talking about it there's still we're not the you know we were discussing movies to do i was like there's already a lot about island of dr moreau it's such an infamous you know major motion picture disaster I think we're talking about it now and other online communities and YouTube videos and forums are talking about it because it's such a memorable disaster. It's one of those awesomely bad movies and it ended up having historical implications. Maybe not. It didn't destroy New Line. It didn't change cinema, but it definitely is memorable and i think that's what makes it, you know, why that this bad movie has so much more of an impact than other infamous bad movies mm-hmm. um yeah i agree i mean it is memorable and there are you know like he the the special effects and and you know they're all very memorable the cgi like you said is not very good but um, it's awful but it's it's memorable because it's so bad yeah perhaps. because at one yeah. at one point david thulis's character i guess tries to you know in the middle of the night tries to escape to the boat and get out of there yeah and there's these, I don't know what that, mutant rats or something? Little like. rats. I think they were they were really bad CGI rats. Horrible really, CGI. Really, really bad horrible. CGI rats. Yeah, it's, and it's... I was just like, okay, I guess that's all it takes to prevent you from going on a boat, these little... <laughs> I wouldn't rats. want to be on a boat with those things, whatever they are. I guess I would either, but I mean, I don't know. It was just very bizarre. Um, and hor- was, horrible was, CGI. Yeah. Horrible CGI. Um, that's all I remember. <laughs> yeah, and so... Um, I stopped taking notes a little bit around here because I just couldn't keep up with the ridiculousness of the movie. Um, it just, yeah. it goes from like, you know, pulled me in. I, I don't think I've ever been so disinterested in a movie so quickly. Um, really? Wow. It, okay. it, it, it just lost me with, with the, 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 the animal human hybrid things, mm-hmm. the way that, that they were introduced, I guess. I don't know something about them. I just started to be like, all right, what's going on here? Um, and then it just got, you know, progressively um, worse. Um, there's there's these, like, pig ladies that Val Kilmer kisses. Did you see that when he was, like... Yeah, they're having, like, this weird... When you look at what the animals are doing in the background when Val Kilmer's doing his I'm Dr. Moreau now, Marlon Brando shtick, um, it looks like they're humping. It looks yeah, they like were all, they're... Oh, yeah, they were, <laughs> they were all having sex because that was forbidden. 
Oh, okay. they weren't allowed. Yeah, he's giving to. them drugs. Yeah, he was They're giving all them having all sex. Drugs. They're, They're all having so it's, sex. Yeah, it's a very PG rated, PG thirteen rated orgy. You can't really see what's going on, but also again, they're animal creatures. It's just it's a weird, it's bizarre. Very weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but it's memorable. <laughs> it is. Um, so Kilmer, you know, throughout this movie, he's just very looks like he's bored or just going through the motions. Puts no effort yeah. into his role at all, and yeah. then. He, he, you know, Brando is eventually killed because one of the, uh, by his own creatures, because one of them figures mm. out that, um, they have chips inside them and he hits a little button and they all go crazy and, you know, lay on the floor, you know, convulsing. Um, yeah. so that's how he, how he controls that's how them he controls with electric them. shocks yeah, in their heart. And, and, yeah. Right. Into submission. So, um, you know, one of them is killed and, and burned. And when they're, when the other one's investigating the bones, he sees that this, this little thing and somehow finds his instantly which I thought was bizarre. <laughs> like, you yeah, have a microchip inside bad. you, and he knows exactly where it is. Um, and you can just reach in there and touch your heart and touch around your heart and pull it out. Yeah, and then you're A-OK <laughs> after that. Um, yeah. So he pulls his out and then gets others to pull theirs out. And then, you know, they go confront Dr. Moreau. Um, he can't do anything about it because he tries to. Even his little buddy tries to help him and give, gives him his little control box, his little remote control um but that doesn't do anything because they took all their chips out and then they they kill him the editing in the second half of this movie is very bad um and i'm not i'm not one to notice editing a lot but i noticed that it was very choppy so i Mm -hmm. think that they kind of just piece this thing together with whatever they they absolutely did uh if you listen to bob shea in the documentary he the, the head of new line he's like do we just have a movie that we could deliver beginning, middle, and end, and we could just release it? Because it was almost unreleasable in some points, but uh, John Frankenheimer did salvage, you know, some footage because he wasn't getting anywhere or anything. And that's why Brando's only in the movie for like 20-something minutes. He's top billed, but he's, you know, he dies with well, a half an hour left. And yeah. Kilmer's not in it much longer. And, and then Kilmer would, dies maybe 10 minutes yeah, later. Yeah. He, and he, after Brando dies, I don't even know what happens to his character. He just all of a sudden just goes nuts and accepts the fact that he's going to die. And <laughs> kind of just like yeah, gives it's, up. It's, it's a weird, yeah, it's, 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 it's there, not a smart movie. No, no character It's an entertaining arc. movie, yeah, I think. No, no, no none whatsoever for, him. for either of them. No. See, and that, that's something that I wrote down. I really do feel like all of the performances in this movie are good, except for Brando and Val Kilmer. And what do Brando and Val Kilmer have in common? They're proven, they're rich, they're stars, they did not care about this. We know for Brando it was a paycheck, and Kilmer, we know he had other things going on, and he had just probably made a ton of money the year before for playing Batman. So those two were not invested in this at all. They had no reason to try. Right. Everyone else here, David Thewlis, who's he? Faruja Balk, you know, they're not, you know, Ron Perlman or the other actors in this, Tamora Morrison, whoever, you know, everybody, the, you know, the little Spanish guy, the German guy that we're talking about, they had something to prove. Mm-hmm. They wanted this. They wanted to be able to get other jobs after this. Right. Okay. They, they were not proven commodities, so they did try, and I do actually think everyone else in this movie gave a pretty good performance with what they were able to. I'm realizing the limitations of the script, the limitations of the, you know, the whole, the editing, like you said, was pretty bad towards the end. It's tough to tell kind of what's going on. It just turns into, 
action, you know, turns into a 90s action movie, I think, at times. Things blowing up, people shooting guns, okay, uh, they found an armory, they take out guns, they start shooting the animals, they start shooting the people, and that's kind of really, you know, what it devolves into. But I do think the performances are good, other than the two that were household names and proven box office stars, Brando and Kilmer. Right. Um, yeah, so then the end of the movie, you know, the animals kind of, you know, rise up and some of them anyway, you know, they were the ones that yeah. figured out to get their chip out. Um, and then, um, you know, there's action and the humans end up taking over and the lead animal that was, you know, the lead uh, rebel, uh, you know, gets shot and kills himself and burns, you know, surrenders himself. Um, yeah. And then that's it then the island just goes back and i guess the implication is that since they're no longer getting these shots that val kilmer's character used to give them they were going to devolve back into their animal form mm-hmm. um and then david thulis leaves the island and that's the end of the movie and then they you know it ends on this message of you know how similar humans and animals really are and it has footage of like riots and yeah things like that um i think that may have been added in the director's cut as well well no i guess i'm not if you saw it yeah i saw that yeah no that was that was i remember that being i mean and that's really the central message of the movie too and the book too i think the message of the book still comes across it's just not executed very well yeah Um, and that's and that's partly because of the the horrible shooting um yeah yeah, the horrible production um i mean this thing was, was they were supposed to be on location for six weeks and they were on location for six months yeah i knew it was a long time yeah uh the movie's an hour and 36 minutes <laughs> it took them six months to film an hour and 36 minutes <laughs> like this it was is a not, messy shoot <laughs> this is not a long movie by any means i, I was surprised how short it was and and you, you really feel that in the end i feel like it, it just goes from like it just feels so. It feels rushed. The movie kind of feels rushed yeah. to me. Um, yeah. Not that if if this movie was longer, I would like it. Please. I mean, thank God it was only an hour. Yeah, I was gonna say it's actually a good thing. Yes. That, you know, sometimes when guilty pleasures, are good, you want to have a bad movie night. It's sometimes good that you know movies are short like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if this movie could be good. I, I don't know if this. I think it could have if Richard Stanley was able to do his vision, but once again, I'm not sure he could have with the cast that he had, with the Marlon Brando, with Val Kilmer in the state of mind that he was in. I'm not sure that it could have been. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, then the end. So, I mean, that's pretty much it in terms of the movie. I mean, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes was 24%, and the audience score was 20%. So, nobody liked this movie. <laughs> Um, I like this movie. You, you do. <laughs> I like this it then. Movie. I like it now. I like right, it legitimately. So what do you what do you it's like flawed. about it? Like what it, what are the best? I, I know it's a guilty pleasure movie, but like, are the critics wrong? Like, is it should it be rated higher than twenty four percent? Yes, absolutely. Because I I do. I guess I like movies that are enjoyable and unique. Okay, so it does have a unique quality. It's got the influence with the South Park and the Mini-Me. Okay, that automatically makes it an influential 
movie an influential failure, if you will. I'm not saying it's a Heaven's Gate type of failure where it's changed the movie industry completely and bankrupted an entire studio, but it's an influential failure. I like the exotic locales. I like the Stan Winston creature makeup. I like the music score. Um, I do think they did a decent job with the concept of trying to adapt a difficult novel. Like you said, even though they shoehorned it in there with footage of wars and man committing violence against each other, uh, kind of like throwing that in there at the end, it does bring home that message of not to play God. It does get the theme across. Um, Brando, I think, is giving a good guilty pleasure performance. I think it's funny to imitate him and look at how, I think that became synonymous with when you saw people. I remember seeing John Goodman do a Marlon Brando on Celebrity Jeopardy. He was doing like Marlon Brando in Island of Dr. Moreau. So it became synonymous with bad Marlon Brando, like Fat Elvis. This was, you know, Marlon Brando's latter period. If you want to know what Brando was like at the end, Island of Dr. Moreau is the quintessential uh, thing to look for with him. Um, I think you could make a great drinking game out of this. Every time Marlon Brando, you know, does something ridiculous, you get really messed up in half an hour, okay? Or every time you see something that is bizarre or doesn't make sense. Um, and like I said, I do really think the performances are all good. I think the actors, other than Brando and Kilmer, brought their A-game. And I think David Thewlis isn't, he wasn't a star then, he's not a star now. He did a good enough job to make me care about him and follow him for 90 minutes. Uh, you know, would it have been better if it was a different actor or a big name? I believe it was supposed to be Bruce Willis was supposed to be... Uh, one of those ca characters. There were a lot of actors either tied yeah. to it or even at oh, were, were given parts and then left. I think Rob Marrow, Rob Marrow, Rob yes from uh, North uh, Northern Exposure. Yeah, yeah he was, was kind of famous at the time. Tied yeah. into this somehow and was actually on set and then called as he was somebody. and he left yeah. right away and they got him out and David Thewlis replaced him. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, um, yeah, I don't know if Rob Moreau would have made it any better. I think, you know, I think David Thewlis did a fine job. Um, I think everyone other than those two did a good job. Are the critics wrong? It depends what you're looking for. I know a lot of people don't like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They look at that as kind of like the, well, you know, it was the black sheep until Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came on. And you know what? That's fine. But here's what I'll say about uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Even if you don't like it, you remember the image, the hand going into the heart, the body going down into the flames, the alligators, the bridge, the minecart chasing, okay? You remember all of those things, the Kalima, okay? All that stuff. Is it as good as one in three? On a movie level, no. The acting is clearly better. The story is, you know, much better in the first one, of course. Um, but I think that Temple of Doom, the dinner scene, it, it's memorable. And it has those images that you just can't shake. So even if you don't like it, whereas in Indiana Jones 4, all I remember is that there's aliens at the end. And there's some really bad CGI of Shia LaBeouf swinging from the trees that looks awful. Other than that, I mean, I know I didn't like it. But I don't remember it. People that don't like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I bet you they can tell you why. And they could say more than just, oh, because there was this some one thing at the end in one scene where a guy was swinging on trees. So I guess that it impacted me in a way where I found it memorable. I hadn't seen a movie quite like that. 
for good reasons and for bad reasons. Um, so I guess the, the, all of those things added up to the reason why I would defend this movie and say it's worth your 96 minutes. Um, all right. So I am with the critics on this one. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with what you're saying about Indiana Jones. Um, however, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is a good movie. Now, is it I better agree. than the other two that came before and the one that came before and the one came after it? No. So I could argue that it's better than Last Crusade. Uh, you could make that argument, but I, I don't agree with that. Um, Sean Connery, I think, is what made Last Crusade really good up until he shows up. Like it's kind of okay. Yeah, but again, I still think like when the, the main you know thing people have with the with Last Crusade. I'm sorry, with uh, Temple of Doom is that it's a darker movie. The story's not mm-hmm. as good. But it's still overall a good movie. If that was the first Indiana Jones movie, I'm sure there would still be a second Indiana Jones movie. Um, hmm. So I I don't think now you're right and you're right about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull too. And now that there's four of them, you know, uh, Temple of Doom looks a whole lot. Temple better. of Doom looks a lot better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that movie, you know, a bad Indiana Jones movie is still better than the, than the Island of Doctor Moreau. Um, yeah. Uh, well, it, maybe not. Maybe, I, I would say not. I would rather watch Island of Doctor Moreau than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, that uh, you could make that argument. Um, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not. Other than some good scenes early in that movie, um, there's not much there. What but, finding out finding out that the Ark of the Covenant is at Area Fifty One? <laughs> no, I did like the scenes that were filmed um, in Connecticut um, at the college. Um, I don't even remember I the refrigerator scene. I remember that. Yes, no, yeah, I don't remember. Good. I need to. I need to watch that one again. Uh, I, I, it's coming back to me. I know Kate Blanchett's an evil Russian Soviet. Woman yeah, and she was terrible. Yeah. But again, that's, okay, that's, a, yes. that's a story for another podcast. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, this this movie. I mean, it is for yes. It does have some images that are uh, that do stand out, and it is you know iconic for a couple of reasons that you said. Um, but overall, the the movie, like the production, is just a hot mess. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all over the place. It, it doesn't know what it wants to be. The actors, the, the main two characters, or at least the, the main two top build characters, yeah. couldn't have been any less interested in it. Although, Brando, <laughs> Brando makes and breaks this movie for me. I think he's a horrible Dr. Moreau. In terms of the character mm-hmm. Dr. Moreau, he is not a good Dr. Moreau. He, no, he's not trying to be. No, yeah. like there, there's a scene where he's, uh, it, I guess it's like uh, a time lapse scene, and they're just you know some there's there's some uh, like a little montage I guess, and there's some scenes of him like looking through a microscope and talking. Like I wasn't buying that for a second that he would ever <laughs> even know even how to turn on a microscope, <laughs> let alone look through it and make comments on what he's seeing. Like that, I was like, he's there's no way this man a invented Velcro. Uh, but, but B, uh, you know, invented these, you know, hybrid and man, human animal things, you know, it's just no way. All you saw was a fat man with an earpiece. Yes, (laughs) exactly. However, when he spoke and when he was on the screen, I was locked into that movie. Uh, now, is, so he still had a dynamic so presence yes. enough, even with him not giving a crap at all. <laughs> yes, just because he's so bizarre and so far out there. I mean, he's wearing an he ice kept bucket. your attention. Yes, he's right. wearing an ice bucket on his head. He looks like Darth Vader without the helmet on. He's even burned like Darth Vader. At the when he dies, they burn him and he lays there. <laughs> You're just right. Like Darth You're Vader. right. They give him that Viking funeral. Yes. <laughs> so 
Uh, I, and he's in colorful moo-moos the whole time. He's, he's like Homer Simpson, the, ep- the Homer Simpson episode where he has the funny hat and he's wearing the moo-moos when he's yeah. really uh, plus-size Homer. He's yes. like that. <laughs> yes. So uh, he, like I said, he he both is pulls me in and pushes me away from this movie because I don't see him as Dr. Moreau, yet it's like a train wreck when he's on the screen. You know, it's like a car accident. And you can't, I, I can't, you can't look not away. look away. I, yeah, look I understand away. I was that. locked yeah. in when he was on the screen. I was like... <laughs> You know, for the right reasons. It's too bad he was only in it for 30 minutes. <laughs> well, and, and it was for all the wrong reasons, too, that I was locked in. But I was locked yeah. in when he was on there. So for that aspect, he works that he's in the movie. But yeah. I didn't buy him as Dr. Mor- I didn't buy him as this brilliant man. And, no, you know, I, I and, agree and he, he that, yeah. and, and at one point, David Thewlis, I think, calls him out on, you know, what he's doing or, or tells him to explain it. And he says, like, oh, that's something like that's a story for another day or something like that. Or we'll talk about that later because <laughs> he doesn't know the end. Like, he's, he, he couldn't answer the question, you know, like or he or he didn't want to or the lines would have been too hard for him or whatever. But, um, yeah, so he that was one of the biggest and, and the, the editing of the movie, Val Kilmer's character, not only not only him as an actor, but just the, the character arc went nowhere with him. No. Um, I don't even know. I, I, I wrote down at one point, uh, he had like a blue thing on his arm, like something you wear like when you're... Yeah, he wore that a couple of times like you're playing basketball yes, or something. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it was like an elastic <laughs> pad or something. And then I, I yeah. read on the on the the, the uh, trivia on IMDb that it, that was a character choice he made, and even the director was like, I hope he takes that off because there's no reason for him to have that on. Like it was just like weird <laughs> crap like that. That like <laughs> it's just everything about this movie is weird, um, and, and which makes it memorable. It does make it memorable. It, it, I, I'm not going to say it's not memorable, but I don't think memorable means that makes it a good movie. It makes it memorable, um, but it doesn't. Does it make it a good guilty pleasure? Um, it, Ed Wood made bad movies, but they're memorable. Yes, um, you're right, but not Stallone but not, has made bad movies, but they're memorable. But not I'm thinking all of, of Cobra. Ed, Ed, not all of Ed Wood's movies are, are memorable. Um, I'm sure there's plenty. Okay, his his <laughs> the the ones that we know 50, 60 years after you know after the fact. Okay, they're they're memorable. Yeah, he had so. you know a couple that were memorable, but um, yes, this is memorable, but it's not. It, it, is it a guilty pleasure? I guess it depends on what your guilty pleasure movies are. Um, I don't, you know, some people may find that as a guilty pleasure. For me, it I, was, I I have fun watching this. Yeah, movie. so for me, so, it's, it's yeah. not fun. Um, other than okay, if I, it's I not could, fun, then that's yeah. I, I could watch the. It wasn't. All right, let me put it this way. It wasn't not fun, but it wasn't fun either. It was just. It was just in the middle for me. It was like I wouldn't put it on. Uh, if it was on, I probably wouldn't watch it. Other than the Brando scenes, okay. I wouldn't be able to turn away from. Um, okay. <laughs> but so I, a twenty-eight minute supercut of Marlon exactly, Brando scenes yeah. is all you need. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like uh, it's 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 like the whole movie is like a car accident where you know you you can't look away, but it's awful. You know. So I guess because it's guilty. still a car accident, yeah. right? I guess that's what a guilty pleasure is. You know. Um. You know. You know it's bad, but you like it. Um, yeah. But for, but I do think there are good things in it, and like I've said, yes, you know, it's, the exotic locations, the Stan Winston makeup, and the acting, other than the main two leads, it's not make it enough for me to recommend. Yeah, it's not a complete pile of garbage, which I thought it was going to be when I when I went into it. Okay, um, okay. I think they did. You know, I think the the director and the studio did their best to salvage somewhat of a movie, um, yeah. which not, was probably not easy. 
No, and I guess, you know, probably because this movie was probably supposed to be a big deal when it came out, I would imagine. Um, Probably, yeah. I don't know, because I was young at the time, but just didn't, you know, live up to any. Well, Val Kilmer was a big name, so if this was going to be his follow-up to Batman, this or Heat, you know, he was a big name, so they wouldn't have hired him if they didn't, you know, I'm sure he got paid handsomely. And Brando, you know. And I know Brando had a big price tag with every movie he made after, uh, which which is ironic, because, you know... I, I believe he was the third or fourth highest paid actor on The Godfather. Because his star meter was so low in 1972 yeah. at the time that, like, the, I know the highest paid actor was Richard Castellano, who played Clemenza. Yeah, which is in crazy. In The Godfather. Well, exactly. Well, because Pacino was a no name, Diane yeah. Keaton was a no name, James Caan was a no name. Then second or third might have been either. Uh, the guy who played Barzini or Sterling Hayden as the guy who gets shot in the restaurant, the police chief yeah, that yeah, Michael yeah. shoots. I think he might have been second. And then Brando was third or fourth or one of those older actors, maybe the Hollywood producer who has that one scene, find the horse head in his bed. Okay. So mm-hmm. Brando was his, you know, he was low at that point. He was a, a big risk for the studio. They didn't want him. Uh, but yeah. He, he didn't get paid that much for The Godfather on salary. Maybe he got a lot on the back end, but his salary was low. Yeah. So, all right. So final verdict is you, you would recommend this for people to watch. Um, I do stand by. I, stand I do by defend it. this movie. I've been defending this movie for over 20 years. I, I know it's flawed. I know it's bad. But every time I watch it, I find enough, I get enough enjoyment out of it. Yeah. So, so this is going to be one again, of those. That's just me. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be one of those instances, rare instances, I'll say, uh, where we don't agree because I don't. For me, a guilty pleasure movie. I could, I would tell someone else to watch. I would try to get someone else to like it too. You know what I mean? Like, like you do with this movie, with me, kind of. You know, you want me to like this movie. Yeah. I feel like. Um, oh, I mean, uh, want you to like it? I know it's flawed. Right. If. If but, the flaws uh, outweigh you... the, you know, if the flaws outweigh the good stuff that I'm saying, you agree with everything that I've said that's good about it, and I can't take away all the bad things that you've said about it. It's there. It's you know, they're facts. Okay, it's not like you're just giving an opinion. You're, these are facts. Right. Um. But if that outweighs, if the bad outweighs the good for you, then I, I completely understand that, you know? So, so then what makes a good guilty pleasure for you? What are some movies just off the top of your mind that you know are bad, but you still enjoy them or you're still compelled to watch them for whatever reason? Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, but there are some and I, and I will think of them, but there, yes, there's definitely movies that I know that aren't very good. Um, but I, I like them for whatever reason. Um, but I feel like those movies, I, I always, they're movies I could, I could, I would tell other people to watch. Um, uh, Hitch is a guilty pleasure movie for me. That just came to mind. And that movie's okay. I saw it once and I remember it was better than I thought it would be. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's certainly, if I was to see it again, I don't know. I think it might be the reverse Fletch, where I might be like, oh my god, why did I like this? Maybe. Uh, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Whereas Fletch becomes more quotable. Fletch is almost like the Big Lebowski, where the, the more you watch it, the more you can quote, and the more fun it becomes. Yeah. So, I, I that that would be something. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't feel like I could, I, I don't think I would ever tell anyone to watch the you you asked me if my wife was going to watch this movie with me and i would not <laughs> ever 
I would not uh, subject her to that. <laughs> yeah, I would not subject her to that movie. She wouldn't. First of all, she would be mad at me if I made her watch it. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, just because it, she'd be like, "What the hell is this?" You know, and and I, she watched Blue Velvet with you, right? And she liked that, or she didn't like it. She, I don't remember, but she did watch it with me. I don't remember how she felt about it, but um, I well, think she, she didn't I, hate I, it enough. No, you didn't get into a fight it. over it. Okay, think, if no, you got into no, a fight I, over I it, you'd remember. Yeah, okay. but that's a that's a coherent movie. Like this is oh like, yes, this it movie is, is yeah. bonkers. I mean, yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying, Blue Velvet's controversial. Not everyone likes it. You know, no, that I know. sort it's of very, thing. Yeah. So it's but but it is a well made movie. Right. It might disturb exactly. people, but it's not a but it's it's that's that's more of the content of the movie rather than the, you know everything else about it yeah you can't knock the cinematography or the acting Correct. or the editing in that movie Correct. yeah okay all right um, all right yeah i mean I, I do have guilty pleasures um I, I can't think of any off the top of my head because i, I don't okay. watch that many movies as much anymore just because you know i don't have that much time as, as with I, mm-hmm. as i used to with you know right. having a child and needing you know yes. not not always ha- being able to just you know throw a movie on um right Ah, I I don't know if this would be a considered guilty pleasure, but I guess it is. Sister Act. It's your opinion. It's your call for a guilty pleasure. Okay, Sister Act. I remember liking. I haven't seen that in God knows how long, but I remember it being. Kristen a good and movie. I watched it the other night because we both uh, liked that movie, and I haven't seen it since I was a ch- you know really young. So yeah, uh, I was gonna say I don't think I've seen it since yeah. I was and like and I liked it. I, I, school. Yeah, yeah, I still liked it. I still had a good time with it. So okay. Um, and I would tell you know I would tell anyone to watch that movie. So. Um, yeah, I just I, I remember I, it made me want to go to church, and I'm, I'm Jewish. <laughs> okay, so I remember thinking like, why don't they do this? Why don't they have people singing and doing this stuff in temple? You know, yeah. if church is like this, church isn't that bad. <laughs> so I do remember thinking that as a uh, whatever I was a child when I saw it, but thinking this looks like fun. This is I never saw Sister Act two, but uh, I did, and it wasn't good. But not okay, not as good. Okay, no. but um, all right, so um. I think that's it for this movie, though. I don't. Final verdict for real big mistakes. Okay, this is a big mistake. Yes, to me, this this is a this this movie. The critics did not make a mistake on this one. I'll say that. Okay. (laughs) And to me, I guess I saw something in this that the the good things in this I saw outweighed the bad. And for me, it's worth the ninety six minutes. Would it be on my best of the year? No. Is it a fun movie to revisit every so often? Yes. And I do appreciate, maybe because I'm such a movie person and I appreciate, you know, landmark films and cinema. This is a landmark failure in cinema. And I do think that it's like Heaven's Gate and like uh, maybe Howard the Duck or some other landmark failures. I think this movie is one that keeps coming back. Showgirls is another one, mm-hmm. you know, that people keep that they just made a documentary about how Showgirls is brilliant and influential and blah blah blah. And it's been so many years uh, since that came out. Um, but uh, I, I do think that this is one of those types of landmark bad movies, or you know, there's just it's it, there's so much to this that I find it fun. I find it enjoyable. That's my personal taste. And if what I described sounded like it's fun, then maybe you should check it out or watch it again if you haven't seen it in a long time. And if not, uh, then that's fine and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're the kind of person that, you know, you see, you know, police lights or fire trucks on, a, on the road and you get excited... Um, you'll like this movie because you know, that means you like looking at things that are awful. Um, you'll, you'll 
you will like this movie. It is it is <laughs> it is a train wreck. Um, like many other you know major flops have been. Um, let me ask you this. We'll end on this note. What do you think? Now, obviously, this production was horrible. You know, everyone will say that. Um, yeah. Every bit of it was horrible. Whether it was storms or the actors or um, the egos, the egos the, everything, yeah, yeah, everything was horrible. And it's from a good producer. Edward R. Pressman produced this. He produced um, Wall Street. He produced The Crow. He produced. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. The Brian De Palma movie Sisters. Mm-hmm. So he's he's a very good avant garde, you know, producer. And it just uh, nothing seemed to work out for this movie. So it had all the right pieces, all the right you know yeah. things. But mm. um, all right. So what's the best movie with the worst production that you know of? That you can think of, meaning like horrible like, production, but still turned out a good movie. Which in this case, obviously, Doctor Moreau did not. Um, okay, a good production, horrible production, bad production. The t- Titanic was allegedly a mess. Yeah, I'm thinking of a Titanic. Movie. I've heard the stories of how Titanic was. They kept pushing it back, and it kept going over budget, and it was going to be so long. Um, and I think that Titanic. They, they all didn't they? It was a great success story. Yeah, what? didn't uh, didn't they all get drugged too or something? Somebody like put acid in the soup they were eating or something. I don't remember hearing. Yeah, that. I, 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 I heard that's that. That's awful. Yeah. Okay, wow. So they were all okay. tripping on acid one day or something. Oh, that'll set you back a day or two. Yeah. But wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, but I've I've heard that was a really troubled production. Uh, Gangs of New York was a troubled production. I really liked that movie. Uh, like legit liked I don't you know uh, I think that often gets you know lumped in and forgotten when talking about the great Scorsese movies or Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. movies I think that's one of Scorsese's not top five but I would say it's in the discussion for top ten without a doubt and I know that was a very troubled production um, another uh, movie all the time I had James Cameron's The Abyss was a very troubled production and it actually ended up losing money it's his only flop at the box office James Cameron but I think The Abyss is a phenomenal It's a film. good movie. Really it just didn't have a good box office turnout. Yeah, but I, I, it, was, it had a bad production. I know that. It had a really rough, yeah, you know, yeah. rough time making it. So, I mean, you know, but for the most part, usually when you hear a bad production like Island of Dr. Moore, I think Island of Dr. Moore might be one of the worst ones ever, okay, for the horror stories. that you So much so they made a whole movie about it. Oh, Apocalypse Now was a troubled production. That's what I, uh, that's the, that's the one that came to mind hmm. for me. That was, okay. that was, I mean, because there's a documentary about that production too, and I've seen how and, bad that production looked was. like a nightmare. Yeah, and, you saw and, Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, yeah, and and it was a really good movie. I mean, a really good movie. <laughs> Maybe so, the best war movie ever. Right. You could argue. So to yeah. me, when I think bad production, I think that movie, and they were able to, you know, pull greatness out of it. So yeah, uh, it doesn't always work out that way, but usually it does. Bad production into yeah. a bad movie. Um, usually that is yeah. true. Yeah. So all right, I just thought that would be. Uh, quick little discussion um that is a, that's a good yeah that's that's a good point all right so i think that's it unless you have anything else to add i think that, that i wraps don't have up. anything else we could sign off yeah we'll go on what were you gonna say we can... i was going to say that I'm, I'm gonna announce the next movie we do now since uh you picked this one i'm gonna pick the next one okay I already okay decided um that i would like to do a movie that is uh rotten on rotten tomatoes however it is one of my all-time favorite movies and that is the burbs oh. 
Oh, I love the Burbs. Good. Well, we already <laughs> okay. know we agree on it, but we'll, <laughs> All right. we'll get into I it definitely a little bit like more uh, next week and uh, or next Good. next time that we um, record. Next and, time we do this, yeah, and hopefully next week if we could do it weekly or, or um, we'll see how that goes. But as long as the pandemic keeps going, I think we'll have time to watch a movie a week yep. and <laughs> do this. Yeah, okay. So, all right. Uh, We'll sign off now. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jason Konigsberg of panandslam.com. Live long, prosper, and watch movies. Yep, and I'm Rich Tola, and hopefully you enjoyed this and, uh, you know, our first podcast, and hopefully we uh, keep getting better at it. Yes, thank you for listening. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.